Hello, and let's get ready to rumble <laughs> on the Morpheus cast. I'm Brian Dawes. <laughs> I'm Chris Delano. And I'm Carrie Thomas. I didn't think when I asked you to do that, you actually would. <laughs> it's the most That's energetic nice opening we've had in, what, three, four years, so. Probably. <laughs> so, yeah, we're we're all, we're the whole crew for this week. Um, we've got Jay and Lorelai are off on vacation, taking some uh, mandated vacation time. Uh, and uh, so it's just the three of us, which is great because we're we're going to be talking uh, side stories today, which means we can do a whole bunch of like speculation and criticisms that uh, those Watsy shills on our podcast don't do. Yeah, get them out of here. Oh, do we have any news? God, you know, boom is done. That's the boom news. Is, yeah. And it's also not done because there's still at least one spinoff coming. Uh, the Planeswalker Noble comic. But issue number 25 did come out and it um, I think it was the least popularly received arc, but also kind of known to be so because it was only going to be five issues. But we'll get to, um, you know, reviewing Boom Comics at a later date. We've got quite the quite the content gap coming up with Lord of the Rings stuff. So, well, we're not going to talk about Samwise and his card and the trip to uh, Mount. I mean, Jake could get a Lord of the Rings lore expert on here. Um, but are we, are we not going to cover the stories? <laughs> I did. I did like the joke that somebody had posted online where it was just the the text of Lord of the Rings, but in the magic story article, it was at least entertaining. Um, I uh, I legit though today just got my copies of Lord of the Rings in because I realized I didn't own my own copies of Lord of the Rings. I'd always borrowed my like dad's, <laughs> so I just ordered my own copies. <laughs> they came in the mail today. You're going to be our expert then. Yeah, we'll we'll set aside like what we can probably cover them in like two episodes, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Do the extended edition of the podcast where we release 10 hour long episodes. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I I know nothing about Lord of the Rings outside of having seen the movie um, two decades ago now. So it's been been quite a while. Um, But yeah, let's get down to the March of the Machine side stories starting with Arcavios, a radiant heart by evelyn tang um we start off following the five strixhaven kids the main characters of strixhaven let's just let's just admit that um they are evading invading forces and trying to um you know maneuver their way throughout the biblioplex without being seen by any of those phyrexians or any of their now completed professors. Um, Liliana went to Arcavios in advance of the invasion, in very slight advance of the invasion, because everything happened pretty quickly, but tasked them with finding the spell that had built Strixhaven, the Invocation of the Founders, as it will help protect the campus against any Phyrexian attacks that come towards it. Um, They end up finding the platform at the center of the biblioplex biblioplex with a tangle of light um five parts to the spell there are five kids each one needs to do their original school slash elder dragon founders part of the spell um they end up climbing further up and cast the spell they're interrupted by a completed dean nasari but 
Quint is able to finish um, Rutha's part of the spell, essentially, um, because she gets a little distracted by his heckling, (laughs) or by their heckling, (laughs) and um, Quint dies. Let's just say it plain and simple. Quint dies. He disappears. Finally, some Um, consequences to the story. Yeah. (laughs) This was probably the biggest stake of the entire story was um, Quint dying. But the campus is saved. What is left of it? Because it is in ruins from the assaults that have already taken place. But they are safe for now. And Liliana is also there having, you know, an awkward moment with Killian's dad. Um, not fueling any fan fiction speculation. So, yeah, that is that is what's going on on Arcavios. We get to follow the kids. Um, Aloxodon loses his life, and, you know, everybody's sad, but at least safe. Okay, so you do know that, like, they confirm that Quintorius sparked, right? I know, but it's outside <laughs> yeah. of the story, so, so we can pretend that it did well, not they, happen. They talk about it in the story, too. Um Liliana speculates. She's like, oh, yeah, Kazmina said one of them had a spark um, or one of them had an ember. Sorry for the improper terminology, Kazmina. But yeah, she's going to find you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not really scared of her because she's kind of been out of the picture for quite a while. Uh, Yeah. Quint Sparks. This is his Planeswalker origin story is protecting the campus from the Phyrexian assault that is taking place. Um, You know, Killian's dad was kind of trying to do a heroic sacrifice moment um, to save the kids and get them further along on their quest. Then he lived like some kind of schmuck. He does live. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He lives and like Killian gets a little hurt and uh, Liliana is there playing the role of um, like a healer. She's like running the med tent for all these kids. Uh, So Liliana tends to his wounds and there's like a real weird moment between Liliana and Imbros where you get the idea that they, uh, you know, maybe maybe they used to get get around together. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, yeah, I'm I'm full in on team. Uh, Liliana is Killian's dad or mom. Excuse me. Oh my god, <laughs> that is such such a specific fan theory that it's like kind of born from this weird art detail in the first place. So yeah, we'll we'll see if anything ever comes of that. But it was cool in this story to see like a plane that was given advance notice by a planeswalker tends to be kind of the theme here but um Liliana in particular like she has taken up Strixhaven as her new Bruce to protect and that is um nice to see you know she really loves the kids yeah it's really clear that she actually like cares about her students and I really love that about her I love that we're getting this uh new arc of Liliana where she's no longer just looking out for herself all the time, but is also kind of, you know, establishing some roots. Or could we say some Ruthas? Uh, no, we can't say uh, that. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, any other thoughts on, on Arcavios or Radiant Heart? Not in particular. Uh, I, I did think it was cool that the Invocation of the Founder spell seemed to kind of be like rebuilding Strixhaven too. Was like part of it was like this was the spell used to build the school. So when they cast it again, it was kind of rebuilding the school, but on top of all the Phyrexians who had invaded. So, like, it was a way of, like, undoing some of the invasion that had happened. So I thought that was an interesting way to, like, respond to it. But, um, yeah, 
anyways, uh, we then we we're not going in an order, by the way, just so everyone knows, like we're kind of kind of in order, kind of not in order for the side stories. Um, but we're going to do a Coria next and uh, called Survival of the Fittest by one Roy Graham, who is the head of Magic Story and also just a real cool guy. Um, this story is pretty easy to follow. It's it's really good. Of course, they're all like, for the most part, really good stories. Um, this one is uh, Ikoria, where Vivian has given a heads up notice, but she's a little late uh, because, of course, she shows up and goes to help him. And uh, Luca was sent here immediately and he kind of devastated the plane and that he destroyed Dranith. Like he turned into this big monster where he's essentially like doing a Vorinclex thing where he like grabs a monster and then just like incorporates it into his own body. But he's doing that with like humans, too, and anything he finds. Somebody described it as a Katamari, which is yeah. accurate. <laughs> he's a big old flesh Katamari. Um, and he's also Luca, which means he's kind of evil. And Phyrexian, <laughs> which means really evil. So he's like rolling around Dranith, scooping everything up, destroying the city. Um, Vivian and Jarena are kind of like leading the survivors away from the city. Uh, and they've teamed up with Cheville, you know, the the like... Uh, what do you? What were those called in Akoria? The like, they're not like bounty hunters, but they're like hunter people, poachers, I guess. The ones who like go out and kill monsters for sport and for fun. Um, Cheville's sort of leading them, and they've also like uh, teamed up with some bonders, which of course is you know pretty tense of a relationship. But like, there's a giant monster roaming the countryside eating everyone. So you know, when when times get tough, and also there's other frag scenes as well. Um, so they're escorting the Dran survivors away, but like Luca is catching up to them and they sort of catch Luca in a cave and like Cheville and all the other hunters have like set up like these mines and traps to try and stop Luca uh, and they don't work and he eats a bunch of them. And so Cheville's like, screw this, I'm getting out of here. And Vivian runs away uh, and she realizes that um, Luca's going to catch up to this group of survivors. There's not much they can do. They're on their way to Lava Brink, which they expect to have sort of like done better, which honestly, Lava Brink is the coolest city on Ikoria. So like, yeah, yeah. it should have done better. Um, and so they're they're heading their way there, but like they don't have time. And so Vivian and Jarena kind of have like a conversation and they realize uh, they're going to have to try and set a trap for Luca. And so they kind of use everyone as bait and lead all of the survivors to uh, Vadrock, the apex monsters uh, nest where Luca follows them. And it's just like this big volcanic caldera that like, you know, they can all get inside of. Uh, and when Luca shows up to eat them all, there's some like words exchanged. Luca's being a big jerk and uh, Vadrox swoops in and eats them. I mean, there's like a fight. Like, it's not just immediate. Um, Luca is a formidable foe. But uh, between <laughs> between Vadrox and Vivian and a little bit of help from Drina, they are able to um, essentially uh, kill Luca. And uh, then they leave and Vadrox lets them go because, you know, respect. Um <laughs> And uh, yeah, so that's the end of Luca. He is dead. And that's Vivian's role in the story is to make sure that happens. Um, my thoughts are good. Goodbye, Luca. I think his character did not have a lot more direction to go in. Um, I think that he was never written in a way that would make him a character that had a lot like a lot of growth direction. And I think that's fine. I don't think we needed 
a like complicated character in Luca's place so much as we needed Luca to exist as a character uh, as like a fascist proto like toxic masculine person who uh, ends up getting eaten in the end. And I think that is fine. Um, Also, like, I don't want people to think that we hate Luca. Like, we get a lot of comments from people who are like, wow, you just hate Luca. You don't like this character. And the truth is that, like, I've enjoyed Luca's appearances in the story every time he's shown up. I thought he was a very compelling character in Sundered Bond. I thought as a villain, he was interesting in Strixhaven. I even thought his, like, little scene in uh, All Will Be One was really interesting and cool. But like Luca is not a good person and he's not a good guy. He's very bad. Uh, he has taken every opportunity to be a good guy and squandered it or thrown it away. And for that reason, I do hate the character, but I don't hate his writing. You know, like if Luca was real, I would punch him in the face, but he's not real. So I just kind of relish in uh, him getting eaten by a monster. <laughs> not really. He's not real. And not only can he not hurt me, he's dead. Yeah, I don't think that... The Luca hate train is as strong as people want it to be. Like people think that there is some internal vendetta or that everybody just dislikes this character because he's written bad or written foolish. But like, no, he's a perfectly realized character. There are many characters in fiction who act extremely foolish and arrogant and end up having to pay for what they do. But don't get that redemption, <laughs> whatever, whatever redemption people necessarily wanted out of this um, obviously was not in store for Luca. And I think that's fine. Like, I want magic to have messier characters and I don't like Soren Markov. I, <laughs> I, I still don't really like him. I like him a little bit more than I disliked him before. But he is one of those characters that's written well in basically every instance and at the same time, I hate the dude with a burning passion versus maybe, for instance, my personal vendetta against Ugin, where I don't think he's necessarily been utilized well or characterized well in basically any story. Like, you can have different axes of enjoying a character or not enjoying their writing or vice versa. So, yeah, I I'm happy Luca existed. I'm also happy he's gone. <laughs> that's perfectly fine for me. Yeah, that that sums it up basically. Is like really well written character written in a way that makes us not like him, and I think that's good. Characters can be unlikable, um, and also eaten by uh, apex monsters. Yeah, the I I don't necessarily see where some people get. I know this is like a minor minor grievance, but I do sympathize with the people who complain. Like, oh, but if anybody else even, like, touches the oil, it's, like, death sentence. But if Yargol or some, or Vadrock, like, eat a whole Phyrexian, then who cares because they can't be infected? And I'm like, the rules are going to be playing differently based on who they want to be completed and not, like, it's obviously just a choose and pick game at this point. I don't think there's some deeper metaphysical difference between the spirit that gets completed and the spirit who can't be completed like it's it's intentionally messy because they wanted to complete some characters and not the others like there are only so many legends if you can believe it in magic the gathering (laughs) and they wanted to keep some of them as heroes and make some of them um phyrexian villains in this instance so 
Well, the the good thing about like Acoria and even like Dominaria and some of these other places where there are some like questions about that is they do apply some internal consistency to it. So like on Acoria, it is established that like some of the monsters have developed a mutation that stops them from getting infected. So like I can believe that it's the land of mutations where monsters are mutating like literally before our very eyes. So like biologically that makes no sense but this is magic a wizard did it it's fine <laughs> um but like from the internal logic of ikoria makes it make sense yeah like okay and then on dominaria there's like this whole thing about like well uh moira or whatever got completed but yargle wasn't and they do establish like well yargle was under the protection of multani who's a powerful nature spirit and there was like all this like you know he can use his magic to prevent the infection so like okay um but there is one case where it doesn't make a lot of sense and it's the very next story that we're going to talk about <laughs> um on, on that that thread yeah. that you were just on the thread they, i will say that that's what that's kind of why i was annoyed with there being phyrexian kavu in the first place because like they were like, made to destroy phyrexian <laughs> machines exactly they were gaia's direct response to phyrexian invasion like they should if, if anything should be immune to kavu or to phyrexian phyresis it, it should have been kavu but i a hundred percent agree with you on like a storytelling point like i think that it's silly that they decide to let that happen I can see the logic where they're like, oh, well, the oil wasn't really the infectious thing back in the Phyrexian, blah, blah, blah. But like, come on. It's yeah. so silly. Like, just let the Kavu be immune and let that could have been like a really fun story part. Anyways, um, our next story is Ixalan, uh, 300 Steps Under the Sun by Miguel Lopez. This is uh, Carrie recently asked, like, what we thought our favorite, like, standalone piece of magic fiction is and this is in my top like 10 for sure um i think that you have to have a lot of background knowledge to really get what's happening in the story so it's not like great for someone who's never read magic story before uh but like definitely really good this is um a really incredible war story so it's like a story about the invasion and also about war which seems to be miguel's whole thing um the Sun Empire has basically all but collapsed on Ixalan after the invasion started because it like interrupted them in the middle of their offensive against the vampires um, and like the dusk people, um, whatever their names are. Um, <laughs> uh, but they the, the Spanish conquistadors, but vampires, um, they were like reattacking them and then the invasion interrupted it. Uh, the emperor is not very smart and doesn't really kind of get what's going on. Uh, Watley has decided to take it upon herself to go to Arazka, uh, the Arazka or whatever, the, the golden city to try and use the city and like summon the elder dinosaurs to help save the island. Uh, and she takes uh, some prisoners with her, including Maverin Fane, one of the uh, vampires, because, hey, uh, when the world is falling apart and invaders from another you know dimension, I guess, are in like killing everyone around you the differences between the two of you seems very small um so she takes the vampires and also some pirates and they go on a trip to orozka uh Hwatli has to climb the famous 300 steps to the height of the temple if she wants to like really commune with the elder dinosaurs who kind of exist in this like weird metaphysical world soul space of ixalan like 
they're real tangible creatures and monsters, but they also like are kind of spiritually connected to it. Um, so she's going up there to commune with them to try and get their aid. Uh, turns out one of them has already been completed. The Phyrexians got their hands on Itali somehow and turned Itali into a giant light steel monster. Uh, and Atali shows up to try and like stop her and eat all of the people in the city and cause lots of problems. Uh, but Watley does manage with, you know, the help of the vampires and her friends to get to the top in time to summon the rest of the elder dinosaurs who all kind of come in and make some quick work of the Phyrexians. It's a really cool scene. It's very emotional. The writing is beautiful. I'm not going to try and like explain to you exactly why it's good. You just need to go read it. Um, she does manage to summon all of the the other four and then also uh, Zakama, and they all come through and destroy Atali. Um, here's where it kind of breaks down for me and that like none of these other dinosaurs get corrupted by the oil. Uh, but I kind of like guess like, I don't know, some sort of like primal protection or something. I don't know. But anyways, um, the gist of this story is that there's like so much devastation on this plane uh, the way that we're made to understand it is essentially the Sun Empire is just done. Like, they are completely routed by this invasion. Uh, they'd sent a lot of their forces to go fight the vampires, and those forces got caught halfway there. Um, so no more real Sun Empire. I'm sure the vampires did not fend any better. Um, and uh, yeah, at some point after the story, Maverick Fane like, rides Galta. <laughs> That's why we have the card. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... No consequences, you know? What can I say? <laughs> like, it is hard to come out of these stories just being like, oh, everything's back to the status quo. It's like, shit's, shit's kind of wrecked. <laughs> like, you, you don't really get out of these situations incredibly well off. And um, I know that that impact, that impact probably won't be lessened by Wilds of Aldrain, the set, and it might be lessened by Lost Caverns of Ixalan, considering we don't get to see as much of the surface level that we had seen prior, assuming that it's like the inside the earth um, set that everybody is um, kind of implying there. But yeah, I, it's one of the most clear cut cases of like, oh, this just like entirely takes one faction off the table for uh, Ixalan because we went there with those four factions um, kind of ready to fight it out. And one of them is pretty much decimated in their defense of Phyrexia. So, yeah, I guess my counter to that argument is we don't know how bad the rest of the plane took damage elsewhere. Right. Yeah. So the, the uh, Dusk Legion could have had severe losses on their own side of the the world so it's or Turizan could just be like perfectly fine and yeah, pretty much unscathed yeah we'll, we'll, we'll find out next next time we visit the plane but hopefully it's not as lopsided as what it would appear to be based off of just the story being focused on this one section of the story yeah I hate <laughs> yeah um, I also hate whoever drove by your house but <laughs> as the person who's going to edit that um, but uh, yeah, no, I agree. I think the thing is, is that like we're not shown everything and some people really didn't like that. And I'm just like, I don't need to be shown everything. And also, there's like only so many cards and only so much story. But like, also 18 stories was personally quite a few 
um, <laughs> too many for me. <laughs> as much as I keep saying more story, more story, um, this was both too much story to take in in such a short amount of time, just considering the new release window for Magic Story, and um, at the same time, not enough to quell everybody who wanted to see their favorite character or their favorite team up accurately depicted mm-hmm. in the story. Like, we didn't get to see Azor and Elenda, is it, in mm-hmm. this one? Like, they're off doing something. I'm sure it's dastardly. I'm sure it's <laughs> um, only guided by Elenda's morals because Lord knows Azor doesn't have any. But, like, it's just... He has a strong sense of ethics. Yeah. Yeah. No morals to speak of. (laughs) Yeah. Also, this story did have, uh, because someone in our live listener remind live listener chat reminded me, um, this story featured some like really beautiful, uh, Watley Sahili moments. So like if you, if that's your jam, if you are a big fan of some, some sapphic romance, uh, go read this story. And also you might get uh, a little bit of trauma from all of the war. Um, (laughs) emotional damage yes (laughs) it's so good and also like yeah but no this um the six alone story ranks in probably my top 10 of like favorite standalone short stories of magic fiction it's just so good it really is all right we should keep moving along we've got uh we've done three stories and we've got five more to go Oh no. Alright, so our next story is one of my favorites, Innistrad Family Game Night by Sean and McGuire. <laughs> so it starts off with uh, Gisa um, writing a letter to her brother, of course, Garalf, and she's blissfully unaware of the Phyrexian invasion, thinking some ghouls that have popped up out of the, the was it, swamp have uh, are some of his weird-looking scobs. And uh, she manages to put them down, and Garal promptly writes her back that, uh, yeah, don't touch them, and especially don't let the oil get on you. Um, but basically, they're going back and forth about, they, they turn it into a game about who can defeat more of them, and it becomes more and more, uh, the, the stakes go up and, until they eventually have to work together uh like Gisa has to sacrifice some of her things so that Garalf can turn it into a monstrous scab and it it's it's a hilarious view of how they look at the world and it even gives us some insight as to seeing Garalf's messenger deliver messages to Gisa um, which is I think the first time that I can remember reading about how that actually works because of course there's no random postman that just delivers all their stuff to them Garolf's messenger is actually a thing, so it's it's hilarious. Um, it, it gives it was a great amount of levity that I just enjoyed. As is almost every story that those two are in. Like I, I don't think I've ever been disappointed. This one was just I loved how it framed the Phyrexian invasion viewpoint of border or actually insane Gisa. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it, it was just it was a it was a good yeah uh gisa um raises a hole breaker horror by the way um in case anyone missed that i definitely missed it the first reading and when i reread it i, I, I thought that was really cool um fun thing about this story is uh one it doesn't tell us anything about the rest of innistrad um and how they're faring so gotta figure that out we we learn a little bit in the like legends article 
Yeah. And then uh, also a real fun thing is that we learned that the Phyrexians couldn't use the zombie flesh of Innistrad. Like once a person had died and turned into a zombie or into a scab, the uh, Phyrexians couldn't do anything with it, um, which is really cool. And like we we were saying earlier, like there's like a weird in-world explanation for it that fits pretty well in the sense that um, some of the liquid that the Scobberin used to make scobs is made of angel blood or like has an angel component in it, which makes sense because, uh, you know, we've established Phyrexians don't like angels. Um, works out really well. And then uh, also like the the magic that they used to raise dead here uh, establishes some ownership of the ghoul collar over the dead, uh, which is why Garof mentions that he can't use Gisa's dead bodies unless uh, she lets him do it, um, which she does. And there's just a really cool fight scene for it. Yeah, this was probably the most narrow scope story we got. Well, probably tied with the Ravnica one for like we only get to see a very, very slim slice of the plane and don't really get a full status update. Um, Soren, Soren does drop by <laughs> to let people know <laughs> that uh, shit is indeed wrecked. So, yeah, I was I was happy with it. It was a good moment of, you know, sibling rivalry and levity in the uh, in somewhere where we already know that, like, they've handled quite a few things on Innistrad they can handle. A Phyrexian invasion. Probably not super duper well, but like at least these two siblings have it. And then we hop into Eldraine for the Adventures of Rankle, Master of Love by Jenna Helland. Jenna Helland, returning author and the former uh, story higher up at Wizards of the Coast. Um, Rankle has been kicked out of his fairy clique and sees Ayara on a footpath. He decides that he wants to marry her because she's so beautiful. Uh, that hasn't really gone off well for the past husbands, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, he goes seeking a love potion, and a witch tells him that she'll make him one if he goes on a long and difficult quest because she thinks love potions are, in fact, creepy, which they are. And also, she's kind of packing up to run from the oncoming Phyrexian invasion. Um, and by the time that he comes back, the invasion is in full swing. Um, he does run into Torbran, who has a ring of wishes, um, which Rankle steals. I'm trying to think of the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia moment um, where I can't remember the wish exchange, but that's exactly how it felt, spitefully wishing. Um, Rankle steals it and plans to use it to win Ayara's love. Um, but he sees that she has become a Phyrexian. He ends up using the uh, the ring to wish that all Phyrexians would love him, and in a little Pied Piper ode, leads them all into a giant chasm right when a sleep spell takes hold, and uh, Rankle is feeling very sleepy, is assumed dead, having led much of the Phyrexian invasion uh, into a giant pit. So... Uh, a fitting fairy tale end for how for both Rankle and how the Phyrexian invasion would fare on Eldraine. Yeah, I think with this, the fact that we know what we know about what's what happened on Eldraine, the art from the aftermath set that we got, Magic Fest Philly, 
kind of is what gives me hope that some of these other stories aren't aren't limited. Like the first invasion happened on a much wider scale than any of these stories can ever tell. Because clearly, the first invasion wasn't just limited to wrinkles, wrinkles antics. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. But, like, this story just made me hate Rankle that much more because he's so <laughs> annoying. Oh, Jesus I love Christ. this dude. He's, he's, <laughs> he's one of the characters I love to hate because, um, you know, he's kind of a shit for taking the ring. So. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was ingenious, but it was still annoying. Poor Torbred just couldn't catch a break. I thought it was a lovely story. It's really short compared to some of the other fiction we got. It's a really quick read. Reads like a beautiful fairy tale. Jenna Helen really did a great job with it. Um, yeah, I enjoyed the story. I just hated Wrinkle. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, Wrinkle is another one of those characters who you're not supposed to like. Like, you're supposed to kind of hate him. Uh, and then when he kind of sacrifices himself at the end to, like, kill an entire force of Phyrexians, uh, presumably, uh, it's it's really cool. Yeah. Um, not, not a lot of, like multiversal stuff going on in this one. I think we can probably move on pretty quickly. <laughs> um, other than I thought it was a really good story and everyone should read it. They're all really strong stories. Uh, our next story is Ravnica, One and the Same by Allison Lures, which was really bittersweet for me, especially after finding out that this was the last story that Allison wrote before leaving Watsi, because Allison has been a like borderline irreplaceable part of the magic story and like the, the story was just great. Um, basically, it, it's Veraska's point of view as she's leading the invasion of Ravnica first. Uh, like you, you see that there's some kind of rift in her mind where she kind of is seeing through the eyes of what the Phyrexian version of her is doing, um, but she's like f- frequently referencing back to different things of her past as the uh, the invasion is going. She leads, she's watching through her own eyes as she reassumes control of Golgari and leads their completion and takes over the Simic too. And she, once she does that, she kind of wanders over to her apartment and has a bunch of memories. And it's <laughs> a really cool thing and uh, I love the mention of the Segovian Jarrett because it's I, I, I want to know what it took to get that out of there anyway um, <laughs> so once she leaves her apartment she goes and battles Rouse wreck um, and uh, she kind of gets ignited like Raul has some kind of trick that ignites all the blood in her body or the oil in her body and uh, we kind of get this weird vision where she's having this memory of Jason uh how do I say uh dreams of a beautiful time with Chase and that's that's how I'll put it and uh we flash over to Raul and he's asking about the status of her body and it's not there so we don't know where her body is and what's her current state of mind at the end of the story which is interesting Mm-hmm. To say the very least, but uh, I'm looking forward to Nega Jace and Vraska in the near future. So I'm to see Jace's villain arc because he uh, is still partially infected. Though it does, I, I think what what's happening here is that Jace has kind of partitioned off Vraska, and maybe he has some kind of 
feel safe in case he was completed before leaving for New Phyrexia on the Strike Force, and uh, maybe and Baraska kind of like protected their their mind or mental states in case they were completed, and or maybe that was part of his last spell before she completed him, like. I think there's a lot of potential for what this story could be. I, I, I really hope that Watsi does some really cool things with this because, like, they've got a, a blank check and it's it, it, it could it could yield some really cool stuff. I don't know if I want Jason to be a bad guy. I don't I don't even know what I want from this, but like, it, it's super interesting to me that her body isn't there. Jason was unseen during the entire story except for this story where. He possibly absconds with Raska's body, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, the the ending is left uh, vague and like intentionally so. Sometimes we get a vague ending, and it's just because the author didn't like write a real solid ending to it. No, but here, yeah, here there's a real solid ending where it's like intentionally vague. So like, I personally am of the thought that if the end of the story involves like a building or like a skyclave falling on top of you. Um, <laughs> even if they don't show the body, my assumption is that you're dead. And I think that is the appropriate assumption to make. I think in this case, the assumption could have been that Vraska died, uh, but the end of the story specifically calls out that there's no sign of her body. And you don't write that in the story unless there's some idea of like, Ooh, maybe she got away. Um, and I'm, I'm of the point of view that, uh, while Jace initially set up some sort of mind like safety mechanism back during Ixalan, um, when they did the whole like, I'll hide the truth in your your memory and then lock it away and then uh, none of this will have any narrative payoff in War of the Spark. Um, when they did that back in Ixalan, uh, I think that's what like set this up. But I do think that like Jace is acting a little too familiar with the situation to be just like a mind puppet thing for this this moment. Like, I do think like Jace is actually involved in the story somewhere. Yeah. Well, we also had the um, not Legends of article. Maybe it was Legends of. I, I can't recall for the life of me. The Invasion of the Plane article uh, where they described that Tesa had somebody on the inside feeding her intelligence about the Phyrexian troop movements. And so... A lot of people were speculating that Jace was um, in some sense of sound mind when he was aiding the Ravnica resistance against the Phyrexians. But yeah, I think this is probably one of the more interesting. Not having Jace featured in a story proper, but having Vraska and this story and the open ending leaves a lot of speculation fuel for people who want to think about what is next for these characters and i'm perfectly fine if they retire them i've made that opinion clear that they can just mm -hmm. sail off in a ship in the blind eternities and you know have their fun not having to be main characters anymore but yeah jace still is suspicious in pretty much every way because we don't exactly know what's going on there and I don't know if it'll be satisfying for people to find out that he had more fail-safes in play for his completion. But, like, obviously he would. He's, like, it's not out of character. 
it's just something that people don't like happening. <laughs> so <laughs> that's fine. It it fits with the internal consistency and continuity of the character very well, but yeah. it does sort of like make people you are go, like, oh, oh well, mm. he can never be corrupted. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the point of being a mind mage is you want to be in control of your own mind. Mm-hmm. And like, if you mess that up, then it's kind of on you, not really on other people um, overpowering you in most instances, in most instances. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, just getting like a glimpse of them. Kind of like, you know, uh, the, the Dark Knight Rises end credits moment scene where like, you know, a Johnny is like at a cafe somewhere in Paris and looks over <laughs> and sees Jason Vraska having a meal together, just winks and we move on. Like, I think that would be as much as I want uh, for a while. See, I want that, but I want it to still be Michael King. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we, we got two more. Yeah, New let's Capenna, get New the, the Fall of Park Heights by Elise Kova. We have Errant, who opens up the story by having a nightmare amid the hell that is the Phyrexian invasion. Everything is going wrong. Her dad is dead. She wakes up. Everything is fine. Take a deep breath. Wait. And Hello actually is taken. And uh, the duo, the duo of Errant and Parnes, are wounded and fleeing a converter beast that is going after them. Um, and they have chosen to do basically anything to avoid becoming Phyrexians. And it kind of comes to that moment when the injury is holding them back. But it turns out that there is an angel on. New Capenna. There are quite a few angels on New Capenna at this point, but this one's name is Della, and she saves them. Errant gets to plot with Perry and Camise and Hansi on how to take down Atraxa, who they know is tasked with destroying basically all life on New Capenna, because it kind of signifies a living rebellion to Phyrexia's first invasion of the plane. And Errant has to ask if Halo can undo completion, because obviously that's a near and dear topic, but it turns out that it cannot. It can only proactively defend against it taking hold. It can't necessarily make your body normal again and make you back in control of um, everything that Phyrexia took from you. So their plot is put into motion. They're able to lure Atraxa to Park Heights, um, they detonate a bomb in Park Heights to literally build, bring the district down up upon Atraxa. Um, Errant does have to Halo spray gun her father because he stands in the way of the detonation and her escape. Um, and as the final note for the story, um, Parnese and Errant get a hopeful but happy ending. And Della has been unleashed into the multiverse with the flurry of angels who are now going through the um, Phyrexian portals to essentially help out on any planes that they can and aid the resistances there. Pretty succinct story. Pretty sad to see Enhello gone when he was kind of one of my favorite <laughs> characters. We have yeah. uh, the original Maestros Fonder, Xander, um... And then we had Anhelo take over after Xander's death, and now Anhelo is gone. I don't know. I like the maestros. I like the way they're written. They're perfectly fine characters. <laughs> they're, they're the most likable representation of Grixis that we got. And um, 
I'm sure I'm sure we'll get more of them on whatever the next return is. But, um, you know, touching story. Yeah, I um, I am no uh, I'm well known for my love of the family man uh, from the new Capena side stories. I love in hello. I love Arendt and Parnes. I uh, really appreciate that this story gave us a little bit more time with the commander face legends, which was fun. Um, especially since it was our first time getting Henzi in the story, really. Um, I mean, like he's he shows up in uh, in one of the other ones, but like it's you know they derivateers did not get justice. And still MIA. <laughs> yeah. Um, in this case, the maestros don't get any justice because they kind of got you know uh, taken out. It's heavily they, they imp- keep yeah. they keep catching elves like they yeah. can't stop. It's. <laughs> It's kind of like implied between the main story and the side story that like the maestros just are all either Phyrexians or dead. Like they don't show up in any capacity in this story other than Arendt and Parnes as like the last. And Arendt is notably not a maestro. She makes a point of saying that she's not one. So like they they're yeah, not happy about that. But when we go back to Capenna sometime in like four years or something, um, maybe there'll be new maestros. We'll see. Four families and angels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dropping a whole, you know, city district onto Atraxa is a pretty, pretty definitive way to make sure that she's dead. So happy about that. Yeah, they, they found the body this time. It's in art yeah. <laughs> for Fall of Atraxa. And Buddy did something fall on Atraxa. Um, she's dead. So thank God. There was a lot of ways that this story could have gone and it didn't go that way. And I appreciate that. I I had some like wild theory for like a day where I was like, oh, my God, what if Atraxa finds like the old wreckage from Phyrexia and finds like a heartstone from a newt who had a spark and it was in the heartstone and she accidentally becomes a planeswalker. And then I was like, oh, God, Chris, shut up. Yeah. Um, I was thinking maybe she she had been lifting and she she was showing those gains and actually caught the thing. And <laughs> could you imagine how terrifying that would be? <laughs> they go to drop Park Heights on Atraxa and she just like holds it above her head and starts like lifting it. Like, huh? What you gonna do? <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, we have one other side story, and we're pretty far into the episode, so I'm just going to run through this real quick. Uh, Zendikar battles in the field and in the mind by A.T. Greenblatt. Uh, a bunch of stuff happens. Rocks fall, everyone dies. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Nahiri shows up, as we know from the main story. Uh, she it makes her way to a skyclave, the uh, uh, ruins of Amiria, I think it is. Um, and she uh, communes with the skyclave and... I think like a lithoform engine type thing and starts corrupting the entire plane from that skyclave. Uh, she ends up completing some Phyrexian or some elementals, which is pretty terrifying. Um, she's causing corruption just to like bubble up with the Royal, which she also kind of like stops there. Um, Akiri at all her little adventure crew uh, minus, uh, you know, the one who Jay killed minus minus him. Uh, they go and to they go to confront Nahiri uh, and they get joined by Tazri, who shows up later. Um, essentially, Tazri throws her halo at Nahiri at a point uh, sp- like speculatively. This is when at the point during the invasion, when the angels are like going throughout the multiverse because the halo like is speaking to her and seems to suddenly become empowered. Um, 
because all these side stories take place at like nebulous points in time. We're not actually sure when during the invasion these stories happen. Um, but she throws her halo at Nahiri. Nahiri has like a brief moment of like realization and looks down at her sword arms and goes, who thought this was practical? Um, and then the Skyclave falls apart and falls on her and she's dead. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, Nahiri is dead. I have not looked at any promotional art for any future <laughs> sets um, because I choose to believe that if they go through the process of dropping a Skyclave on top of you, you should be dead. It's just how that works. I will say that she's known for controlling rocks, so I don't I mean, know. I maybe, guess. maybe she can use it to catch herself. Yes, Nahiri getting out of a falling skyclave using lithomancy is a tad more believable than, say, a vampire with no stone shaping abilities escaping a rock. So exactly thank you thank you carrie thank you you get it i don't i don't like people being put into situations they clearly should not be getting out of and getting out of them not that we're trying to cinema sins the entire story which would be extremely funny to do and i did miss out on thinking of that idea prior to april fools but (laughs) the yeah it's it's a perfectly fine to cut off fine spot to cut off because Skyclave is tumbling down like spoilers. She's not dead for good, but allegedly, allegedly, take a take a note from Brian's book over here. Allegedly, (laughs) there is some art that shows her. Okay, but I I'm just of the point of view that if this had been how Nahiri died, it would have honestly it would have been kind of disappointing. (laughs) This is this is my least favorite of all the stories. I'm not going to really talk about it that much. Um beyond that it just was not my favorite zendikar was just a strange space to go back to because i thought it would have more i thought the planeswalker tasks in general like the completed planeswalker agents were going to have more impact on some kind of ultimate goal and instead like if they're getting tasked by norn herself to do these things then i figure that there is going to be some intentional end goal and it's not just going to be like one by one battles where they're able to get thwarted but you know, there is only so much space in this story, so we do kind of have to jump to the final defeat of uh, the completed planeswalkers in most cases. So, yeah, overall, the side stories were um, extremely entertaining. Like, I wasn't especially disappointed with anyone in particular. Um, it's more of that, like I said prior to March of the Machine, even stories even debuting, that. Not everybody is going to get to see all the characters or planes or story moments that they want to see because this set is how many hundreds, if not thousand cards, and (laughs) there um, are only so many stories that can be written under the current model, and that happened to be 18 for this set, 10 main and 8 side stories. But I feel like the side stories did very um, good use of their space, and I... I loved Eldraine and Innistrad, um, even though I might not necessarily do it the same way if I was in charge of the story. I think they were the perfect, like, show the Phyrexian invasion through the lens of this plane. Like, obviously, we don't need to see it through that lens. And I think a lot of people would have preferred to see major story moments like the Kenrith's, the Kenrith king and queen dying. But um, 
you know, there's only going to ever be so much space for a story under the current allotment. So I was happy with it overall. See, you've all you've, you've had some some complaints over the years about the number of legendary creatures that we're getting in sets <sighs> for Commander now. Um, and I think that I am now joining that complaint, not Ooh. because not because I think they shouldn't make more interesting commanders. I I actually am like really happy with the number of legendary yeah. creatures in that sense. Like it's really fun to just like be able to like, I want to build this niche commander deck. Well, guess what? There's now a commander for it. Um, what I actually want to complain about is that by making so many legendary creatures uh, and like putting so many named characters into magic narrative, it has convinced everyone that every single one of those characters is somehow important and deserves like a story um, because like I am really glad that we don't have stories for some of those characters, because if they tried to do every single one of them, I think my head would explode. Like no one asks what happens 100%. to Adriana, leader of the guard of Paliano during during the invasion. Huh? Has anyone asked about her? She's my favorite. Did she die? Who knows? <laughs> but like that's that's my thing is like, wow, every single person comes out of the woodwork now and goes, why don't they tell us what happens to this character or oh, this character died, but they didn't even get a couple of pages or a paragraph. And I'm like, yeah, they're, they're not important. Yeah. That person's not important <laughs> to the story. They just got a card because they needed a legendary creature name. <laughs> That's who you got. I'm sorry. It It is the eternal um, struggle back and forth between people wanting more story and they're just simply being like not enough story that you could possibly do to satisfy um, every single person's interests because I don't know people always campaign for slice of life stories and then we get slice of life stories and they're criminally underrated by the audience because why would I read those they don't have like the actual things that are happening in the story and it's like people ask for these like <laughs> there is uh, there's obviously multiple groups of interest within the magic readership and i think that merch of the machines does a pretty good split for um making sure that everybody gets at least something that's entertaining to them something that interests them and without going overboard and being like here is every single legend or doing an article that's here is every single legend and how they impacted the story because like you said we have that bonus sheet we had all of the team-up cards. I realized that not even all of the team-up cards got covered in the article about the team-ups because I think they only did the three-color ones. And I, I don't get to know what Goreclaw and Sorak were doing, but I'm sure it was very, very riveting. We were practicing their boxing routine. <laughs> <laughs> and whenever a Phyrexian got between them, they just got hit by both. They were using a Phyrexian as a punching bag. There you go. Yeah, I don't know. I was... I was happy with this, but anybody who has those kind of complaints, like I, I unironically encourage you to write fan fiction because the chances that we're going to get a story about Riku of two reflections are zero percent because he's been <laughs> out for over a decade. But I know that people love Riku and would love to see more about his character than the original paragraph or two that we got. And it's just like there are going to be many 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 more legends like that in the time for um in the modern era of magic design and i would rather people kind of champion those characters as their own and make kind of interesting ocs if they honestly want to claim them as such <laughs> than uh 
you know, kind of have to wait and wait and wait and never get their time to shine. So yeah, two weeks in a row where we're saying write fan fiction, but do it. <laughs> um, yeah, my overall thoughts are the uh, story was good. I I mean, like, look, it's they gave us some side stories and I can pick out at least two of them that would go in my list of like all time greats, maybe three, depending on how you want to classify them. Uh, so I think that's pretty solid for uh, for some side stories. I have no complaints. I cannot wait to see what they do in the next set of uh, story, uh, especially Aftermath. There's so much potential for playing multiverse altering like changes on such a epic scale that we haven't even said like i would say this predates like this exceeds even that i'm sure we got weaker planeswalkers or whatnot but like all of these planes were affected by one huge event all at once and like the stories that can live that, that can be told about all the impact that they have on these planes like i'm so ready to see like pharaohs sends a bunch of gods and what they in the meantime to recover after there's so many good stories that can be told as the multiverse uh responds to this catastrophic event so can't see what can't wait to see i don't know they didn't mercilessly execute every single planeswalker in front of me so there weren't really any consequences to this story (laughs) yeah Uh, before before we we get lost in in making fun of people um because that's what i'm doing by the way I'm making fun of people who think there were no consequences just because a couple of people, uh, a couple of characters turned out better than expected. Um, before we we do that, I will say uh, final thoughts. <laughs> that's, that's where we are. My final thought is that uh, we're going back to the land of Calorum on uh, Dimension 20, and I can't wait. And also, Matt Mercer is DMing for Brandon Lee Mulligan, so... I cannot wait to see what shenanigans is afoot starting in May. And I, once again, will be an unpaid chill for uh, uh, Dropout. Worth it. (laughs) So worth it. I don't even watch Dimension 20, and I think it's worth it. And if I watched Dimension 20, I'd be adding, like, several hours worth of entertainment to my life every week. You should. Yeah, maybe I will. Um, My final thought is... uh, I finished The Tiger's Daughter. I brought that up like at the end of every episode for like the past few weeks. Um, I finished it. Uh, it's the novel start of a series by K. Arsenal Rivera, who you might know as the author of um, The Family Man. Uh, my my favorite side story from Streets of New Capenna. Um, It's really good. It's a really good novel. It's the first in a series. Um, I'm typically not a series reader. Like, I have started a lot of series in my lifetime, and really what I do is I start them, and then I just put them away, and maybe someday I'll come back and finish them. Um, but in this case, I've already like sent a message to my local bookstore. I'm like, can you please order me the next two books in the series? Because I really like the characters a lot. Um, I think that the world is interesting. I want to see where it goes from here. Um, I think you can read the first novel and be happy with it. And like, you don't have to like read the next one. It's a self-contained book that is very good, but I really want to know what happens and what also happened. Cause there's like some time gaps in the first one to fill in. So highly recommend it. Uh, really gay, really sapphic in that sense. Um, just really good. Highly think people should, should uh, read it. I'm going to follow that up with my final thought being a book recommendation. <laughs> 
<laughs> because I'm reading 52 books this year. So um, we'll basically have one for every week, but also haven't done some in the past weeks for, um, you know, reasons of me not enjoying the book. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but this week is uh, Men Without Women by Haruki Murakami. It is very, very good short story collection. I've been reading too many short story collections recently, but this one is like just perfect in the sense that once you get to the last story, you're like, everything ties together. Everything. I'm a, I'm a slot for some themes, I'll tell you that. Also, since the last time I was here, I did read the entirety of This Is How You Lose the Time War, which is like really slim book, real easy to read in like a day. Um, incredible. Just incredible. Loved it. Um, speaking of things that are incredible, um, if you want to be in an incredible space with a bunch of orthoses, you can join our Discord server. <laughs> and uh, that's a really good segue. I'm proud of that one. Um, you can jo- go to our Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash the Vorthoscast. And for $1 a month, you get access to our Discord server, where uh, Vorthoses from around the world are gathering to talk about uh, all this cool story and plot stuff, and also the upcoming Mom Aftermath uh, that's coming out. Uh, so it's just, uh, it's real hop in place, real lively, uh, really, really enjoy it. Um, for $3 a month, you can get access to our live listen tier. We're on Thursdays around 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time-ish, depending on uh, when our food orders show up and when we have the agenda ready. Uh, you can listen to us record live, where we, uh, we've got a bunch of people listening to us right now. You get the episode a little bit early. You get to hear the pre-show and post-show conversations. Uh, you can jump in and talk to us while we're recording and we'll ignore you. But uh, sometimes we'll take whatever you say and incorporate it into the recording. Uh, and steal your thoughts, which I have been known to do. Uh, and uh, that's only $3 a month. So for like, you know, the price of a collector booster a year, you can have our live listen. And for the price, for the price of like, they're like 30 bucks. And for the price of like a couple of set boosters and like, I don't know, uh, old uh, bulk rare from Mercadia Masks, you can... Uh, be in our discord server so like it's a pretty good value for what you get and uh, of course we also just enjoy your support we wouldn't make the show if you weren't supporting us um mostly because we like it when people listen to us talk so thank you <laughs> thank you all for listening this has been the Vortos cast